Our Holy Spirit, we pray and overrule and overwhelm, overrule and overwhelm these words that are spoken and these words that are heard, so that what is spoken and what is heard is in accordance to the Word of God, within the will of God, for our good and in the, for the glory of Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, that was quite a gospel reading this morning, wasn't it? Woo! feel like I need a drink of water now. Well, in our gospel reading today, this, this long passage of John chapter 4, Jesus has a surprising conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well near the town of Sychar. This is a surprising conversation because Jesus, a Jewish man, asks a Samaritan for help. It's surprising because Jesus, as a man, spoke openly and freely with a woman. It's surprising because Jesus reveals himself to be the one who can give this lady exactly what she needs, even when she doesn't necessarily want to know or even admit what she needs. It's surprising because Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah who gives living water and who gives the water that has internal, eternal, and external consequences. As we look at St. John's Gospel, the fourth chapter, we kind of picked up in the middle of the narrative. St. John was writing that, that Jesus and his disciples had left Jerusalem and were on their way back to the Galilee, taking sort of the shortcut through Samaria. Tired and thirsty, Jesus does what tired and thirsty travelers do. He stops at a well while his disciples go into the city to buy food. Now, in that day and age, wells didn't have buckets. You had to bring your own bucket with you. And Jesus apparently had let the disciples take their bucket to town. So there he is sitting at the, at the side of the well. A woman comes. This is noon, the, the sixth hour. It's noon, high noon. Showdown, high noon, okay, corral kind of stuff going on here. She comes to get uh, water for herself, and Jesus says, give me a drink. Will you give me a drink? A relatively simple request, right? Help a brother out. Let me have a sip. It is not a simple request because Jesus' simple statement broke social, religious, and gender role protocols which is precisely why the woman says, you're asking me for a drink? This surprising conversation that, that Jesus enters into to address this lady at her deepest need, to offer her life, to offer her living water, and in that living water to have internal, external, and eternal consequences. She's opened the door for Jesus. She begins to talk, and he says, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. When Jesus here speaks of the gift of God, he very well may, may be challenging this Samaritan lady and her sensibilities of religion. You see, the Samaritans were not just ethnically other than the Jewish people, they were also religiously other than the Jewish people. 
Samaritans only accepted the books of Moses, what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And is it, is it that Jesus is, is challenging her, just like he has challenged Nicodemus, at the level of understanding Scripture, understanding what they claim to know? Jesus seems to be saying, if the woman really knew the gift of the law, then she would have truly known God's supreme gift when he sat in front of her and asked her for a drink of water. And if she really knew the supreme gift of God sitting in front of her, she would have asked him for a drink of what he had to give rather than the other way around. Now, I wonder if, as we read this, this passage, I wonder if right at this point between verse 10 and verse 11, if this, this wonderful Samaritan woman's uh, spidey sense begins to tingle. You know, if, if like somehow like Admiral Akbar, she realizes, it's a trap, take evasive action, and she hits reverse trying to escape the conversation. Because she starts to take lobs, right? She's starting to lob and, and try to distract and, and, and redirect the conversation. But Jesus, as Jesus always does, won't have any of that. We remember that Jesus, a Jewish man, has openly spoken to her, a Samaritan woman, drawing water at the hottest part of the day. And that itself communicates something about her social fitness. And now, in in barely hidden terms, Jesus has just claimed to be at least equal to the gift of God, perhaps even the gift itself. And so she lobs this very practical question at him, and, and he deflects it and uses it to continue peeling back the layers of her life to get to her deepest need. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What the woman needs is to have her spiritual thirst quenched And that which Jesus offers will do exactly that. As what Jesus has to offer has internal and eternal consequences. Back in John chapter 3, Jesus, in in the middle of his conversation with Nicodemus the Pharisee, Jesus says this in verse 5 of John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is best understood as as the cleansing and renewing work of God in the life of one who believes. It, It comes from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27, where God says to the people of Israel in exile, I will cleanse you of your sin, water. I will put my spirit upon you to remove the heart of stone and to give you a heart of flesh. In a few chapters, uh, in chapter, John chapter 3, uh, Jesus reflects upon that Ezekiel passage. To come into the kingdom of God, Nicodemus, he says, you must have the work of the Spirit to cleanse you and to give you a new heart. Here publicly in John chapter 7, Jesus is going to say, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In verse 39 of John chapter 7, St. John interprets that. He says to us, 
Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So when Jesus says to the woman, the water I have to give you, the water I can give you to drink, will make you never thirst again. We need to understand that in terms of the recreating work of God that God does through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that what Jesus is offering is not just a one-time fix-all. Rather, Jesus is offering the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that has internal and eternal consequences. Internal consequence, cleansing of sin. Forgiveness of sin, making uh, changes in the human body so that the power of sin no longer holds sway. Rather, the power of the Holy Spirit holds sway. Making it so that we don't have to walk according to the flesh, but are now freed to walk in step with the Spirit, as Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5. Jesus is saying, what you need, dear lady, I can give, and only I can give. Because what she needs is something on the inside. Jesus says, I can give you that which you need. I can quench your spiritual thirst. Because of Jesus, a person can be recreated. Because of Jesus, a person can have a new heart. Because of Jesus, a person can have a heart of flesh. And that is a gift of God. A gift of God the Father. It is grace. It is received through faith in the Son. And it is worked out in a person by the power of the Holy Spirit. In St. John's Gospel, water is the metaphor, as scholar D.A. Carson has written, for the satisfying eternal life mediated by the Spirit that only Jesus, the Messiah and Savior of the world, can provide. And that is internal work. And that's the internal consequence of receiving living water from Jesus. It strikes me as, you know, last week we looked at John chapter 3, this week we're looking at John chapter 4, these two conversations that Jesus has, one at night with Nicodemus, one in broad daylight with the Samaritan lady. It strikes me that in both cases, the lady and Nicodemus didn't realize their true need until Jesus began to sort of probe around a little bit, until Jesus perhaps, uh, you know, uh, poked his finger into some wounding and said, "I I can heal this, let me restore this. And it's true that sometimes we don't realize how thirsty we are until somebody gives us a cool glass of water. In fact, Dr. Irvin Sulapas of the Baylor College of Medicine has said, the rule of thumb is, if you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated. And here, Jesus, it isn't until Jesus begins to peel back the layers that the woman says to herself, and the woman says it herself, It's only here after Jesus begins to show that there is sin and that she needs what Jesus has to offer. In this conversation with this this stranger at at this well in Sychar, uh, this woman is confronted with her multiple marriages. She is confronted with her sin of fornication. And we understand why she's at the well by herself. And she understands just how deeply she is known by God. And she understands and she begins to see her need for forgiveness, for that internal transformation that she needs. And she needs the living water that Jesus has to give. As she begins to understand her need, 
Maybe that's why she brings up worship in verse 20. Maybe she's, she's saying, you know what, you're right. I see that you're a prophet. I recognize that I'm a sinner. Now where am I supposed to go to sacrifice? Where am I to go to offer my sacrifices of, of sin so that I can re- achieve, receive forgiveness? But even in this answer, Jesus brings the woman back to himself. The Samaritans worshipped on Mount Gerizim in Samaria just north of Jerusalem. The Jewish people worshipped on Mount Zion in the city of Jerusalem. And she's asking the question, to which temple do I go? It isn't Mount Zion. It isn't Mount Gerizim that matter. It's Jesus. It isn't the sacrifice that you may offer. It is the sacrifice that Jesus offers. It isn't the temple mount to which one must go. It is Jesus, the new temple. And Jesus clearly brings the Samaritan woman back to himself, clearly saying, I have what you need. I can heal you. I can forgive you. I can do the internal work that is necessary to make you a true worshiper. And let me just say that there is a, uh, you know, Jesus in verse 26, Jesus says something that's so incredibly clear to her about who he is, that it seals the deal. So she says, after he's revealed his knowledge, his understanding, she says, I know that Messiah is coming, and he's going to tell us all the things we need to know. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, sometimes it's important for us to to take a step back from the English translation and, and look at the Greek. And I hesitate sometimes in sermons to bring up the Greek because I never in any way want to undermine our trust in the English Standard Version, which we use, or in other English translations, because they are trustworthy. But in the Greek, Jesus says to her, the one speaking to you, I am. And immediately, we should start having some bells go off in our heads. Because in John's Gospel, one of the most powerful things that Jesus does is routinely say, I am something. I am the light of the world. I am the, the living water. I am the good shepherd. And that use of I am, the ego eimi of Greek, takes us back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, takes us back to the very foundation of the people of Israel, where God encountering Moses, the burning bush scene. Moses is sort of arguing with God, who am I supposed to say has sent me? And God simply says, tell them I am has sent you. I am Yahweh. And so when Jesus, in John's gospel, when Jesus says, I am blank, in John chapter 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am. And that really sent people over the edge, right? That's a direct connection back to the God of Exodus, back to Yahweh, back to the God who gave people what in the wilderness? Water, right? Here he is at the well. Here he is saying to the Samaritan woman who only would have accepted Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, I am. I will give you water that heals, that restores, that cleanses. I will give you the Holy Spirit that gives you life. A Pharisee and ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus, didn't have what he needed to enter the kingdom of God. He needed to be born again. The Samaritan woman didn't have what she needed to worship God in spirit and in truth to have her spiritual thirst satisfied. She needed living water. In both cases, Jesus alone can give that which is necessary. And in both cases, Jesus offered to meet that need. 
How, how amazing is it that we have a God who says, this is what you need, and let me give it to you. You need living water. Here it is. You need to be born again. Let me pour it upon you. You need the Holy Spirit. Oh, by the way, in Acts chapter 2, here you go. How amazing is that? It's as if we have some deity who is far removed from us, says this is the standard to which you must meet. Now go figure it out on your own. That's not God. Not God of the Bible. That wasn't the God of Exodus. That certainly isn't Jesus. The water that Jesus gives has internal consequences, cleansing, renewing, making us whole, and it's eternal. This isn't just a sip of water that that we must uh, take again and again and again. This is diving into the pool, so to speak, and remaining there, floating. We take water, drinks of water all the time, physically, which you always have to do it again, right? And this, this, this lady went to, the, went to the well to draw water that would quench her physical thirst, perhaps for a few hours, but she would have to return. The reality for us is that we also thirst spiritually, We thirst for meaning and purpose. We thirst for something beyond ourselves. We thirst for something greater than the selves to serve and be a part of. And so we go out in all kinds of different ways trying to satisfy that spiritual thirst. This lady had five husbands and the man she lived with was not her husband. Is that an effort for her to satisfy that yearning, that longing for meanings, for significance, for life? There's a spiritual thirst that we all have the spiritual thirst that we attempt to quench in many different ways, but which we can never truly quench on our own. Jesus is the only one who offers her a drink of water that will quench that yearning, that longing for more forever. And he does that for us. No more scrambling around looking for meaning or purpose or forgiveness. No more attempts to be better, to obey the law more, to improve the self. No more religious attempts or self-help attempts to quench a spiritual thirst. Jesus says, let me finish it for you. Only from Jesus can this woman, and only from Jesus can all who come to him receive a drink of pure spiritual refreshment that is eternal. Only there can we drink of something and never be thirsty again. To get this pure spiritual water, a person must come to Jesus. Let's not miss out on the exclusive claim that Jesus makes here as well. He doesn't say, you know, if you asked one of the prophets or me or a prophet that's going to come 600 years later, if you ask them, because we're all, you know, we're just all going up the same mountain, just different sides of the mountain, you ask one of them for, for some life-giving water. He doesn't say that. He says, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for water and I'd give it to you. So there is an exclusive claim about Jesus being the only one who can give that which is necessary for life. But there's also this gracious reality that all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask ask. We run around trying to earn it. We run around trying to buy it. We run around trying to fix it ourselves. And all you have to do is ask. It's that simple. It is that glorious. It is that gracious. And it's not new. In Isaiah chapter 55, God proclaimed, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. The implication is come and put your face in it and drink deeply of it. 
A gracious invitation to come to God to receive what only God can give, pure spiritual refreshment, living water. Asking Jesus for this drink requires faith. Coming to the water of God requires faith. But to those who believe, it is freely given. And the consequences of drinking this living water are internal and they are eternal. Now, we don't know from John chapter 3, we do not know how the conversation with Nicodemus ended and his reaction to Jesus. There's hints later on in the Gospel of John that that Nicodemus came to believe in the Lord. But from John chapter 3, we don't know. We do know from John chapter 4 the woman's reaction as the water Jesus gives has external consequences. When Jesus says, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life, what does he mean? On the one hand, we must recognize that A sip of the water Jesus gives, a gulp even, becomes a spring of water welling up. The the living water multiplies and it grows. It develops from a gulp to a trickle to a spring to a stream. And what happens with a stream? It gushes out. It pours out. It springs forth. This stream of living water is not meant to be held onto. It's not meant to be coveted. It's meant as if We are to let the water flow in us, through us, and out of us to those around us. It's interesting that in verse 27, the disciples return to Jesus and the woman leaves. In the verses that follow, St. John reports events that happen simultaneously. On the one hand, still at the well, still having not had a drink of water, by the way, Jesus speaks with his disciples about the need of making new disciples, reaping a harvest and that the time was ripe uh, and present to proclaim the gospel, all while the Samaritan woman was out doing that. Isn't that ironic? Somebody should write a song called Ironic. (laughs) Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That's the external consequence that I'm talking about. You drink of the living water that only Jesus has to give. It cleanses us internally. It forgives us eternally, gives us a new heart of flesh, and then it is meant to take us out externally. It cleanses. It makes us new. It gives eternal satisfaction and eternal life, but it is meant to be shared with others. All of these things are connected, intimately connected, with the work, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of these things come from only that which Jesus gives. Folks, how desperately do the thirsty need Jesus? In our culture today, how desperately are people seeking to satisfy their spiritual thirst? In, lo- in so many different ways. Worshiping idols, seeking to earn it, seeking to achieve it, seeking, if I can just do this, it'll be all be better, only to find out that at the end of the day, having received this, having done this, it's even worse than before, and I'm still thirsty. How thirsty is our world today? How desperately do the thirsty in America Day, in Destin, in Valparaiso, in Shalimar, in Niceville, in Miramar Beach, in Rosemary Beach, have I missed any place that we live? How desperately do people need the water that Jesus gives? The 
The season of Lent is that season of preparation for Easter through confession and repentance. A season in which we are called to honestly reflect upon our sins and thus come face to face with how much we need Jesus. We need Jesus to give us living water. The living water, that which Jesus has to give, has internal, eternal, and external consequences. It's meant for others. Far too often, we are hoarders of the living water that Jesus has given us. We become a little bit like Tolkien's Gollum, Smeagol, with his little gift, my precious. It's not for you, it's for me. And it's for my holy huddle over here. The Samaritan woman didn't keep it for herself. She shared it and gave it out. Individual believers who are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, who have a spring of living water welling up, pouring out, create within a church a culture of inv- uh, invitation and evangelism. A church with a culture of invitation and evangelism is a culture, is a church that has a culture of inviting. Not to see how great we are, but to see Jesus, the one who tells us all we ever did. A church with a culture of invitation and evangelism is focused on sharing the living water with those around them, wherever they may be, starting with family, friends, and neighbors. A church that is filled with people sharing the living water, pouring out of a spring within them, is a church that is making disciples who make disciples. And that's the only job Jesus really gave the church to do. If we have tasted of the living water, and we recognize that we are surrounded by the spiritually thirsty, are we content to watch them die of their dehydration? Or do we have something to do, something to say, someone to give? The Samaritan woman didn't, didn't go and say, listen, let me tell you about this guy, but I'm not sure where to find him. The Samaritan woman went and said, listen, I have to tell you about this guy, and let me take you to where he is, because you need to meet him also. I think that's what we have to say. I think that's what we have to do. It is that simple. Let me tell you about Jesus, the one who gives me fresh water to drink, and the one who will give you fresh water to drink. The water Jesus gives has internal, eternal, and external consequences. That which we are given is meant to be given as we point thirsty men and women, boys and girls, to Jesus, the only one who gives living water. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy and gracious.